Hey there, thanks for joining me this week. My name is Tim, and just like you, I'm on a journey to discover more about God's love, his creation, and my identity. I don't have all the answers, but I've got a lot of questions, and I've got a feeling that you do too. So, let's explore together. Welcome to The Sanctum. Welcome to another episode of Sanctum Podcast. You could be listening to anyone else, Michelle Higgins, Dr. Christina Edmondson, or that new D Smoke, but you are listening to me, and I appreciate you. Today on Sanctum, I want to ask the question, how can we experience God through nature? I think this question actually has several questions with it. So one, can can we experience God through nature? Should we experience God through his creation? And can we go too far in encountering the divine through creation? In order to begin to answer this question, I believe we should start from the beginning. Like, literally, the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. He saw the light, and he said it was good. Then he made the sky and the heavens, and it was good. He separated the seas with dry land, and it was good. Then God said, let there, let the earth bring forth grass and fruit-bearing trees, and it was good. Then God made the sun, the moon, and the stars to divide light from the darkness, and it was good. Then God said, let the waters abound with life, and let the skies be filled also with life, and it was good. Then God told the earth to bring forth living creatures. And it was so, and it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was all very good. That was a summary of Genesis chapter one. The biggest thing we should take away from this is that everything that God made was good. That's important because if it's not good, then we shouldn't bother with it. But if it is good, then we have permission to engage. The reason why we have permission to engage the good is because God is good. In Mark 10, 18, Jesus says, no one is good but one. That is God. Like an artist, when God created, he put his energy in his creation. He put himself in the things that he created. I'm not saying that a waterfall is God, but I am saying that creation is an expression of God. His creation is an extension of himself. And if God is truly good, then his manifestations are also good. Now, like everything, we are on a road. And on either side of this road, there is a ditch. If we go too far to the right or too far to the left, we end up in a ditch. The key is to stay on the road, destination, Jesus. And the great thing about this is that all creation points back to Jesus because in him we live, move, and have our being, Acts 17.28. And also in Colossians 1.17, in him all things hold together. Christ is the creator of all things and he is the sustainer of all things. Because he sustains all things, his presence can be found in all things. So it's no wonder that we look to the stars in awe, because even in the heart of a skeptic, the energy of God draws us to him like a magnet. The God in us draws us into the presence of God around us. 
When I sit back and think about how wonderful it is that the God in me is drawn to the God around me, it reminds me of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons together and inseparable, held together by the substance of love. Whenever I'm drawn to the beauty of nature around me, it feels like I'm engaged in the same type of dance. The forests, streams, and oceans are all different from me, but through Christ, we are somehow united together. I don't think I have the words to convey that meaning, but if you ever found yourself in total peace while you were away from the hustle and bustle of the world, odds are you can confirm what I'm saying. So we can absolutely experience God in the world around us, and God wants us to. Here's what Job chapter 12, verse 7 through 9 says, But now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak of the earth, and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will explain to you, Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? There are examples throughout scripture where nature speaks for God. This is pretty cool because I know people who would rather worship God through nature than a traditional church building. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in traditional church worship, but I recognize that people can feel more at home surrounded by God's presence in creation. I believe this is especially true for artistic people because whether they know it or not, they are recognizing the art around them, and by extension, the great artist that created it. God also uses nature as a prophet and speaks to those who are searching or skeptical. Here's an example. In the nativity, wise men from the east follow a star that would lead them to the Messiah. Now, who were these wise men? More than likely, they were sages who studied the stars and the seasons. They looked out for astrological signs. It doesn't seem like they were men who all of a sudden started studying astral phenomenon, but rather they made their lives around it. Because of their attentiveness to the stars, God led them to true worship of the King of Kings. And he's doing it now. People are finding God in unconventional ways. Let's look at some examples where Jesus uses nature to explain spiritual realities. Uh, so let's look at his sermon on, uh, sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What will you eat or what will you drink? Nor about your body. What will you put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubic to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass and the fields, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Jesus uses what we often take for granted in nature to preach about spiritual truths. Here's another example. When Jesus enters into Jerusalem and the people praise him, the Pharisees challenge him to rebuke his disciples. But Jesus retorts, saying, I tell you that if these should keep silent, 
the stones would immediately cry out. That's Luke chapter 19, verse 40. And that's really powerful because what Christ is saying is that nature, the entire cosmos, is now worshiping him. And by recognizing the presence of God through the environment, we can step in with all creation in our worship. Now, remember that we are worshiping with and in nature, not nature itself. However, there can be a risk here when we treat natural objects as magical. So here's how I define magical in this context. When the natural object no longer points to Christ, but the object becomes the end itself. The object is powerful, not the spirit of God working through the object. For example, I use oil and water as part of my regular prayer ritual, but these objects remind me of Christ. The blessed water reminds me that his presence is cleansing. The fragrant oil reminds me that my prayers are a pleasing aroma to him. If I were to get to a place where, let's say, the oil itself has the power to bless and cast out demons and not the spirit of God, then the oil becomes magical and I fall into idolatry. Because I have given power to the object and not the God who created the object. Something that is very common is the use of crystals in non-traditional worship. And I'm okay with crystals as long as they point the person back to the creator. However, there are many who believe that crystals itself are powerful and do not acknowledge the power of the creator. We can find the use of crystals actually in scripture. Specifically, crystals were used on the vestments of the priest. Exodus chapter 28 says, You shall make the breastplate of judgment, artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. You shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square, a span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. And you shall put settings of stone in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall have a sardis, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be turquoise, sapphire, and a diamond. The third row shall be jacinth. I'm going to mess some of these up, guys. I'm so sorry. Jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. In the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. Here God is instructing the Israelites to use crystals in their worship. So there is no way that I can believe that crystals are necessarily bad because we find them in the Bible. But they must point us back to Christ. These things can be very foreign to us in the West and are more common with Eastern thinking, which tends to be more mystical. Personally, I pull up a lot of my theology from the East. Objects such as candles, oils, incense, flowers, palm fonds, and precious stones are all used in everyday worship, but it feels not only foreign, but wrong in Western mindsets because we have a tendency to try to rationalize everything. But keep this in mind, God created it all, and as it says in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And in Psalms 19.1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God 
and the sky and the ocean show his handiwork. So, the next time that you're at the beach or sitting in a park, by a lake, or just musing up at the stars, stop, breathe, behold the glory of God around you, for it is good. Thanks so much for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed the message and were encouraged to believe a little more. Feel free to check out my website, sanctumpodcast.com, for show notes, resources, and reviews. I also love hearing from listeners, so if you have a question or an idea for a show, don't forget to say hey. I'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Sanctum Podcast. Until then, be blessed.